Okay, Rabbi Say. so tonight we're going to learn a piece of the Mayan Beis HaShoeva from Rav Shimon Schwab. Uh, we're going to learn it on Parshas Vayera, Parachaf Beis, Pasuk Beis. The Pasuk says as follows, Vayemer kach noas bincha es yechidcha asher ahavta. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Avraham Avinu to take his beloved son, his only son, singular son Yitzchak, and go to the land of Maria, and you're going to bring him up as an Ayla, as a carbon, on one of the mountains that I will point out to you. Rashi says, Whenever the Torah says a Lashen Na, it's always a Lashen of Bakasha, of pleading. Amar lay bebakasha mimcha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is begging Avraham Avinu, as it were. Amay li bazeh please pass this test. This is a major test. I need you to pass it. Shlayayimru harishaynes laheb an mamish. So that nobody ever claims that the first ones uh, had nothing to them. Meaning you passed all nine tests. It's exactly, uh, you know, how to order the, what the Aser and Asenis were. But many hold that it's the actual, it was the ultimate test, the final test. And according to that, all of the previous ones would be in vain if you fail this one. If you don't pass this final test, it's like all the other word, other the previous ones had no mamish had nothing substantial. Bumi Sanhedrin, this, this Rashi is rooted in a Gemara in Sanhedrin, Peitesim and Bezam, Rishim and Bar Abba, Eina Alash Makasha, Mashalam El Basar Dam Shamdu Alav, Melchames Harbe. A king, a human king that had many wars, Vayelai Gibar Echad Vinatzchan. And he had one very strong uh, person. Please do me a favor and win this final war for me, he tells his soldier, his general, so that people don't say that the first ones were nothing, that maybe they were just, you know, not real battles, and this one was, and that's why you lost. I tested you, Avram, with many tests. And you withstood all of them. I need you to make it through one more test. Nobody says that the first ones were nothing. Sarav Schwab asks, I don't understand. How could you tie against Avram Avinu that the first ones were nothing? If you don't pass this test, all of them were great tests. Okay, it's a great test, the last one, but would you say that because you didn't pass this test, that means that you flunked all the others? I mean, he made it through nine tests. That's a very good track record. So you have to win every single one. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu plead with him to pass this test? How would that have in any way cast any doubt 
on the earlier tests. Venir Lafari Serv Schwab explains. For sure, all the Nisyanis that Avram Avinu stood, of course that set him on a very high level of a tzaddik that gives himself over to Hashem's will, for sure. No doubt those nine tests were amazing and they lifted him, a Nisayan, we know the Mepharshim says, Milashan Nase, like a Nase is like a banner or a flag. The more Nisyanis you pass, the higher you get. You grow through the Nisyanis that you, that you endure. So Avram Avinu is very high a level by this test already. But there was still something major that was lacking in all of the tests that needed to be proven now. It's true. Avram Avinu passed all of his personal tests with flying colors. But the one major test is, can you pass this along? This Messiris Nefesh, is it just by you? Or does it actually go further? Does it get relayed to the next generation and for future times. Without this, yeah, he would go down in the history books as being a great tzaddik, who withstood many great tests. But that wouldn't mean that he would necessarily have people following him, future generations, descendants, that would be as strong as him. That's what it means that it didn't have a mamish. You know what mamish means? It doesn't mean the first ones were nothing. Of course, they were a lot. But it wouldn't have any substantial after effects going forward. A hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, what is it worth if you can't pass it along into your future descendants? But by the Nisayan of the Akedah where it says that they both went together, Nirabah, little there it became crystal clear. It became clear that Avram Avinu already gave the Kayach of Mesiris Nefesh to his son. It's not just that Avram was personally great. Sometimes you have very great people and their sons do not follow in their paths. It happens a lot. You have great Rabbanim, great Gedalim, great presidents, great leaders, great whatever, and, and the sons are not in any way in the father's league. But Avram Avinu, we see from the mice of the Akedah, how Yitzchak willingly went along to the Akedah with his father, and he was happy to do the Ratzon Hashem. And now with the 10th Nisayin of the Akedah that we can say was mission accomplished, now we could look back and say the Rishonis had mamashes to them. That means that all of the other things that Avram Avinu accomplished through the Nisyanis 
were not just his alone, but rather there was a kiyom, there was something that will endure for all time. That it's not just that he kept it himself, but he had the ability to implant this biteva into his offspring. Just like that mushal of the, the warrior that goes to the battlefield and, he, and the king begs him uh, to win this battle. What good are the previous battles? We don't win this one. The Medina, the country will be completely ransacked by the enemy. Without the Nisayin of the Akeda, so that was the 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 uh, the cap of all of the Nisayinis. The way that we ensure that all the Nisayinis have a kiyam is by the tenth Nisayin by Akedas Yitzchak, because Akedas Yitzchak proved that it wasn't just that Avram Avinu was great but that he instilled that greatness into his, into his descendants, that they all have that greatness, that Mesir Snefesh themselves. I once saw a beautiful pshat uh, from Rav Shach. There's a Gemara that says that there was a woman who had seven sons. This is a Gemara in Gittin by the Tishabav Gemaras. There was a woman that had seven sons. And, and the king um, wanted them to uh, bow down to an idol. And one after another, these boys are very, you know, from boys, and they refuse one after another. So she, uh, so basically, um, they killed one, and then the next one came. They killed the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one. Finally, when it came to the youngest son, uh, the mother said, "I just want to speak to my son." They thought, okay, maybe she's going to tell him to bow down to the idol. She said, "Go when you die." And tell Avram Avinu that you were Atta Kadata, you tied up, you brought as a carbon one son, and I brought as a carbon seven sons. And then he went, he refused to, to bow, and he died as well. So Shach says, What exactly does that mean? What was the message that she was trying to tell Avram Avinu? Was she like one upping Avram Avinu? She was saying, Ah, you know, you only did one, I did seven? Says Chas V'sham, that wasn't her, her intent. What she meant to say was that in this chus that you showed the Messias Nefesh to be Makri of Yitzchak, I had the, the wind in my sails. I had the ability to be Makri of seven sons. Meaning all the Messias Nefesh that Kla Yisrael has for all future generations really was was as a result of the fact that Akedah Sitzchak took place. And Akedah Sitzchak was not just the Mesir Snefesh of Avram, but it was the Mesir Snefesh of Yitzchak. And it showed that it's intergenerational, that this ability to give up one's life was not something that Avram Avinu himself perfected, how much he was willing to give up so much for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but he gave it over to Yitzchak. And Yitzchak, to all of his future offspring, descendants, until these days, until now, we still have this ability to give up our lives. You see how during the Holocaust, 
um, you know, within the last century, millions, literally mil- million is, you know, we throw around the number six million like it's uh, a million, a, a million dollars. If somebody would win a million dollars, he'd be a wealthy man. Imagine if I would, you know, have a million single dollar bills. I don't know how, it probably could fill up this whole room maybe. So, I don't know, the whole room, but a, a, a big part of the room. And, you know, six million Jewish neshamas is a, it's an astronomical number. We can't really fathom it. You ever saw the book that they sell? Um, it's a, that somebody published a few years back. It's like a very thick book. And all it is is the word Jew in a very fine print spelled six million times. Jew, 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 Jew. Every page has like many, many, and it's like a thick book. Just to give you a little bit of a, you know, of an understanding of what that means, six million Jews. But six million Jews were Meiser Nefesh al Hashem. They gave up their life, and many, many of them said Shema, and they said Animamin, and they, they gave up, the, how did they have the ability to just give up their life like that and, and have a Munah at their last moments? Because Avraham Avinu brought Yitzchak on the Akedah. Yitzchak willingly put himself on the Akedah. He went to the Akedah happy. Rashi says that they both went to Simcha, Yitzchak, Avram to bring his son and Yitzchak to be brought. So that is something that we still have until this very day. I want to um, speak about, um, now that we're on the topic of, of the Holocaust, um, tonight is the, I think it's the 84th anniversary of Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht is a, uh, a, a night, it's really a day, it's from November 9th to November 10th um, in 1938. And on that, you know, that was right before the, you know, the, the war started in 1939. This was in 19, uh, 1938. And... Uh, it was a night that uh, was a terrible, terrible night. Um, it was on the 16th of Marcheshvan, but the English date was November 9th and November 10th. And it was, uh, it was a prelude to the Holocaust. It was like the, the last like, warning shot before the Holocaust began. Um, and it was uh, a warning of the coming final extermination of European Jewry. Um, on the 50th anniversary of Kristallnacht, which was 1988, Sir Schwab, who is the, uh, the, the terror personality that we're learning together every Wednesday night in the Svad, gave a, a very, very important address, a very important speech in Breuer's in Washington Heights called Asishurim, which was the show he was the raw vet, and it was a 50th anniversary of Kristallnacht evening. Now, I happened to have been there. I was, uh, I was 20 years old at the time. My father took me there, and I will never forget the speech. It was a very uh, dramatic speech. Um, I put it in my book, Great Jewish Speeches. And um, by the way, if anyone wants to ever borrow any of these books, I have them next to my table under the Svarm Shrank uh, you're, you're free to borrow them as long as you, of course, uh, return them. Um, so 
I want to just read to you uh, because I think it's appropriate. Uh, it's not so long. I just took like the main part of the speech. Uh, I'll just read it to you just so that we get a little bit of a taste of something that's very, very, uh, a very big aside that Rav Schwab shares with us uh, about this night that we are commemorating this evening. None of us really know why this night is called Kristallnacht, which really means crystal night in German, or the night of the broken glass. It is true that on that night, hundreds of businesses were ransacked and the glass of Jewish shop windows littered the streets. But that is very trivial in comparison to the hundreds of Batek Knesias in Germany and Austria that were burned and razed, the hundreds of Sifrei Torah and Tefillin that were destroyed, the scores of innocent people who were humiliated, and the thousands of others who were arrested, humiliated, and sent to concentration camps. Compared to these horrific events, it is singularly unimportant that there was some broken glass in the streets in front of the Jewish stores the next morning. The fact that it was just plain broken glass that was cleared away the next morning and not precious crystal emphasizes the inappropriateness of the name Crystal Night. So he basically is trying to understand what's the hashkacha. Obviously, you know, we're not darshaning why the name is called Kristan, but what's, what's the message for us to take away in the fact that they called it the night of broken glass? What, that there were some store windows that they had to be swept up the glass the next morning? And it wasn't crystal, it was, it was regular glass pane. So what was, the, what was the point over here? Yet by referring to this night as Kristallnacht, we have perhaps unknowingly expressed a profound truth. What we refer to as crystal is not what Rashi in his commentary on Bamidbar Yudal of Zion refers to in his translation of the word Abedoloth. Uh, this real crystal, Rashi explains, is an Evan Tova, a precious white diamond. The glitter and glass which we use today to create fancy vases, chandeliers, and the like, which we call crystal, merely resembles the actual jewel of that same name. Meaning, there is a real jewel called crystal, which is Bedoloth, that's a very fancy jewel. That's a real precious jewel. Then there's what we call crystal. When you have a chandelier of crystal, that's not, or a crystal, va- crystal vase or something. Most of the time, that's not, it's, not a, it's just, it's just a, a shiny uh, sort of glass, but it, it resembles that jewel. When we, re- when we use the term kristallnacht, we refer to a period in history that was figuratively similar to our crystal. What is unique about our crystal is that it is a glassy material that appears pure and glitters like precious jewels, but in reality is only an illusion. Crystal is most vulnerable and, when not handled carefully, will shatter into a thousand pieces. German Jews were fascinated for over 150 years the years of emancipation, by the magnificent crystal ball of German culture. That crystal ball shattered in November of 1938. The German Jews considered the German people and culture to be like an eventova, a fine stone, and wished to be part of the fatherland. They were enthralled by the poetry of Schiller and Goethe and by the philosophies of Kant and Schopenhauer. They were enamored by the Deutsche punctuality, music, orderliness, and other traits. However, all this was just pure glitter, a beautiful illusion. 
but then the shuls were set aflame and innocent people were hauled away. There was no response from the disciples of Schiller, Goethe, Kant, and Schopenhauer, nor by any of the European nations that were part of Western culture. This magnificent crystal ball was smashed to smithereens, and Germany once again became the land of darkness. This is how Rabbi Yehuda ben Ramesha Akayin describes Germany in his kinnah lamenting the slaughter of the Jews of Frankfurt about 700 years ago. On the night of Kristallnacht, these false illusions disappeared. Let us learn from our past and avoid repeating the same mistakes in our own comfortable gullus in America. This was the beautiful words of Rav Shimon Schwab on the 50th anniversary of Kristallnacht. Now we're some 34 years after that, and his words cannot be more uh, relevant to us because we ourselves are um, also like sort of in the middle. We're in the middle of, of this Gaulus of America. You know, previous decades in America since the war, I think we felt very secure and we felt very at home and we felt very comfortable and maybe overly enamored by the openness of our society and by the embrace that, you know, that, that, that Americans have, have really granted us. I mean, we're, you know, we're basically able to do anything, doctors and lawyers and, and businessmen and make a, a lot of money and build shuls and and now suddenly, in the past few years, we feel, at least I do, you know, very vulnerable and not sure really exactly what America's future is for, for a jury. Uh, you know, just uh, the anti-Semitism that is raging, uh, you know, even as we speak, like in the pop culture, very big celebrities, athletes are saying terrible things about Jews and, you know, and they're... And they're being punished for it, which I don't know if, if that's a blessing or maybe that's going to create even a, a greater uh, backlash against us. Um, you know, in New York State, there's a, a very, very, uh, a very uh, threatening uh, decree that's really being issued as we speak, um, you know, to, uh, to make sure that all yeshivas have a certain amount of, uh, a, a large amount of secular studies, which, you know, is fine to a certain degree, but many yeshivas, Hasidish yeshivas and, and right-wing yeshivas, and even, even some non-Orthodox Jews, they just don't have enough English to satisfy the state. And, and even though that, you know, the yeshiva's education system is by and large very good, much better, you know, of course, in the public school education that really provides them with little if not any math and science knowledge and, and the yeshivas students do have that but yet they are threatening to majorly interfere in our curriculum and, and uh, it's a very very uh, slippery slope now do I think that you know America is going to be chas v'shalom turn into a, a country in Europe you know of, of 84 years ago I don't think so. I, I hope not. But we're in Gullus. And when we're in Gullus, we have to always be prepared uh, for any eventuality because there's no such thing as safety in Gullus. And that's been repeated time and time and time again through the 2,000 years of Gullus. 
we were very secure in the golden age of Spain and in Portugal and, and in England and in Germany, and we were summarily thrown out of all those countries, um, you know, despite all of the contributions that we made uh, to their economy and to their culture and to their military. And uh, my, my grandfather fought valiantly in World War I in German, for, for the German side. We have at home, um, my mother just gave uh, last year, two years ago, to my, my oldest son his medals. It's called like a, a, um, an iron cross. It's like basically a cross made out of iron that was given, it's like a purple heart or like a, it's like a very hush of a medal and it was given to my grandfather because he fought valiantly for the Germans in World War I. Now, there are a lot of soldiers, Jewish soldiers in World War I. There's a German fighting for Germany. But none of them, like they, they thought that that would save them, like from the Nazis. The Nazis couldn't care less. The Nazis took them about three minutes to decide what to do with those Jews that fought valiantly in World War I, and they decided, we don't care, they're all the same to us. So this is the history of Gaulus, that we, we come to a country, this is what the Meshachachma writes, and then we get overly comfortable in that country. Maybe the first generation stays true to their Jewish values, and the next generation, or maybe the next generation after that, starts to change and starts to become very enamored uh, by, the, uh, by the shine of the, of the Gauls that they're in and tries to imitate them and, and, uh, and get very accepted by them. And then the Gaim are not interested. The Gaim sometimes prefer us to be you know, very Jewish than to be secularized and, and to try to assimilate. But, there, you know, this is a, a lesson for us to just always be on guard and we don't have to walk, walk around paranoid all day. We have to live our lives. We have to be successful in whatever we're doing. But it is a, a, a reminder on the, this, the 84th anniversary of Kristallnacht that what Schwab said happened back then is happening perhaps to us, that we're starting to get a little bit of a wake-up that it might not be the perfect warm home America that we always assumed it was. Things are changing, and things are changing rather quickly, and we have to daven to Hashem that, you know, that we should be spared from any, 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 you know, any turbulence in this gullus, but it's, it's still gullus. And at the end of the day, um, it could also smash the smithereens, this illusion that it's a perfect environment for us. And it's, it's really not. I don't know if there is a perfect environment of it for a Jew anywhere. Sometimes I think, like, you know, where could we go? Maybe Eretz Yisrael is, is better, but it's sometimes dangerous there also. Maybe go to an island somewhere to, to like, is there a place in the world that you could escape the Gullus? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think that this is just all part of the nature of Gullus. We have to always be on guard. I have, uh, I have a friend who lives in Belgium, and this is going back 30 years. I, I visited his house in Belgium, and Belgium, like, the, there's a lot of very bad anti-Semitism in Belgium. Like, there was, it was a campaign season back then when I was there, just like it was here, and, like, there were billboards that basically the platform was... Um, like a very anti-Jewish billboard. I don't remember exactly what it said, but basically it was very out there that, you know, a very anti-Semitic uh, platform that a certain politician was running on, and he did it brazenly. And everybody in Belgium, my friend told me, they all have safes in their house, 
and they have like diamonds because a lot of them are in the diamond business and they have cash and they have their passports and they're always ready to go like they never know whether or not you know is when when is this goal is going to just like turn over on them and they're going to be the next wave of 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 you know of gullahs to to wash away out of that country and you know i never felt i was always wow that's so odd like to have that must be a terrible feeling to never know if you're going to be able to like be here tomorrow and you're always like ready to leave but and I'm not saying that I'm there yet, but I think that I'm feeling a little bit, you know, agitation in this gullus in America. And, uh, and that's maybe part of being a gullus. That's part of, that's all part of the gullus experience. Maybe we're not supposed to feel too comfortable ever in gullus and we have to yearn for Mashiach. And when Mashiach comes, then that will uh, settle our nerves and enable us to live as well as we ever can. But... This is something that, you know, I, I wanted to just share with you on this anniversary, at least the Gaish anniversary of Kastalnach. And what? Both. It's both, but this year is also, oh, well. Okay, good. I don't know. What, so it's, uh, tonight is the 16th? Oh, of, mm-hmm. okay, thank you. Okay, so it's not, so it's not just the Gaish anniversary, it's also the Jewish anniversary, so that's very, very special. And, um... And these words of Rav Schwab, I, they still ring in my ear from, from all those years ago when I heard it uh, live, and I hope that I was able to convey it to you um, on this evening, and I hope that you remember it and think about it, and, and I hope that it made a ration.